Hello, this is Digital Accessibility, the people behind the progress. I'm Joe Walensky, the creator and host of this series. And as an accessibility professional myself, I find it very interesting as to how others have found their way into this profession. So let's meet one of those people right now and hear about their journey. All right, well, here we go with another episode where I have the great opportunity to talk with a, another accessibility practitioner. And today I'm pleased to be speaking with Dr. Michelle A. Williams. Hello, Michelle, how are you today? I'm wonderful, how are you? Oh, it's pretty good. And uh, it's another day in my office on Vashon Island, which is near Blink's headquarters in Seattle. Uh, where are you talking to us from? Currently in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, but for only for the next few days. <laughs> All right. Where, where are you usually located? Well, yes. Yeah, so uh, Charlotte area, but I'm taking a brief uh, detour to come back. So All right. moving houses, fun times. <laughs> All right. Well, it's great to... Uh, have you as part of the program. And uh, uh, usually the best place to start is if you'd tell us a little bit about what you're currently up to now. Awesome. So I am currently owner of MAW Consulting LLC, making accessibility work. So uh, as of 2020, right before the world events, I decided to branch out onto my own and provide my services in the form of independent consulting. So I've been able to do that, thank goodness, since then. And so I help with uh, establishing accessibility programs, giving guided consulting, accessibility audits, and also training and workshops. Well, it, it, it's always uh, a big leap to uh, start doing that uh, um, on your own. Uh, um, what, are been, what have been some of the uh, challenges besides starting it during a uh, pandemic and, and that type of thing? <laughs> Oh, just that, you know, you know, besides, you know, starting it during a global pandemic, um, you know, I think also when you're a business owner, particularly starting with just yourself, you are everything, you wear all the hats. And so you may know your practice, uh, but you don't necessarily know all the other ins and outs of, of running a business, particularly since I didn't necessarily go to business school before I did this. So a lot of learning and, and even introspection of myself as I go, but it's been wonderful. And I also meant to mention, I can't forget mentioning research to use the research too, which is pretty much my other uh, career. Uh, so I'm sort of both uh, UX research uh, as well as accessibility consultant. Well, I definitely want to uh, uh, get a little bit more detail about that uh, later in our discussion, but uh, one of the areas I always like to find out about is how you became familiar with uh, the concept of accessibility and then how you decided to make that part of your regular work life. Yeah, funny enough, I gave a talk not too long ago uh, with a colleague called How Do I Know You Know Accessibility? Because we know that unfortunately, it's not yet the mainstream thing, right? Uh, so everyone has a story. Uh, so my story is, uh, firstly, that I, when I was coming out of high school, decided to get a computer science degree. I didn't even know quite what that was. But I just knew, to, to date myself, I, I came out of high school in 99. So obviously Y2K, all of that. I knew I was good at math. Let's do this computer thing. 
And so, uh, and really enjoyed that, really enjoyed programming, uh, but of course learned nothing about accessibility or even user experience, uh, even though I was doing that. I didn't realize at the time when I was making my outputs of my C program, you know, spaced well and aligned and all of that, I was trying to make it easier for my professors to grade my homework. Uh, I thought I just wanted an A, but really I was doing user experience. Uh, but I decided to go to grad school after my bachelor's, which isn't always typical of folks who had those kind of computer degrees. They wanted to just start working. But I decided to get a master's of software engineering at Auburn University under Dr. Juan Gilbert, who's now at University of Florida. And somewhere along that path of him being our professor for a lot of our classes and our advisor, I just remember this moment of him asking um, how would a person with a disability use what you all are making in terms of the assignment we were working on? And I'd never heard that question. At that point, I had at least uh, heard about user experience and HCC and HCI, but hadn't heard about accessibility. And that just struck a chord with me. It made technology make more sense to me. It made what I was doing have more purpose. And as soon as uh, that started to resonate, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Now, I didn't go do it right away, but it always stuck with me um, that there's this idea that we could be making technology accessible uh, to a group that we don't even often know about. And so that was somewhat the start of the journey, although fast forward five years before I actually got into it. Well, uh, and so then what was the the next milestone that, that brought you into uh, actively working with it? So my first, when I graduated with my master's, um, one of the things I was uniquely qualified to do was voice user interface design. Now at the time we didn't have the cool Alexa and Siri and all of that. That was more so those 800 numbers where you call like the post office or whomever and talk to a computer. And so um, I had a friend who, had, that was her passion. That was her uh, dream job and they were hiring. So I went and uh, it was in the area in Maryland where I'm from. So I was hired to do that. And I did that. I thought that would be my career. I was good at it. You know, we were running along. Um, but something happened. Maybe the economy shifted. I shifted. You know, things just fell into place where I just remembered that passion I had for accessibility when I first learned about it. Again, I didn't even know where to start, where to go, what to do. But something just in me just said, you're not doing, you're doing a job you're in, and that could be a career, but it's not the career you wanted to do. It's not the career you told people you wanted to do even. I even remembered conversations with some mentors where I said, I'm going to do that, that, that disability uh, work, but I didn't pursue it. And so I finally got to a point where I just said, no, I'm going to look into it. I, I realized I could not stay in that field without that passion. Uh, and so I just started looking up jobs and I found one at a company that's now known as Level Access. At the time it was called SSB Bart Group. And the biggest thing is they said, we'll train you. We'll train you to learn how to test uh, against at the time was more so section 508, but WCAG. And um, it was something that was kind of entry level, but I didn't care. I just, I wanted to learn more about this. And that was the moment, uh, getting that job, working alongside people with disabilities, learning the standards, learning what I was supposed to be doing, what we were all supposed to be doing. 
And then eventually about a year into that, I decided to go back to school one more time uh, to finish out my doctorate. And so that's what my doctorate uh, focuses on human-centered computing. So UX research with a lens on uh, accessible technology and disabled participants in research. Well, that's uh, always a, t a tough spot is is uh, when you're first uh, learning about it. How do you do that? And I guess you couldn't have ended up in a, a better spot than uh, with a bunch of people that were willing to uh, help guide you into that that space. Um, and so, uh, you know, during that time, were you uh, participating in their work with uh, clients to solve problems? Exactly. So at the time, they've since expanded, but we were still a small but mighty group at that time. So it was primarily, particularly in the Virginia office, we were working. Uh, so if you know anything about working in D.C., Maryland, Virginia, a lot of things swirl around being government contractors. Uh, so everything comes from the government and then you branch out to contractors. And part of Section 508 says that the federal government, who is the number one procurer of IT, has to pick the most accessible software of whatever they're trying to procure. So that is the catalyst for companies to try and be as accessible as possible. And so we were one of the firms that could check that, that could authenticate that your hardware, your software, your web services were accessible against the standards. And so each day it was checking these different systems against that. So that's how you got to know it. You got to understand it. You got to understand the the habits developers tended to have and how to correct that. And so that repetitive nature really ingrained me in what does it, what is at least the standard for defining accessibility. And then I was able to couple that eventually with doing research with participants who had various disabilities and learn the human side of it, right? Learn the usability side of it, not just the standards, and then start to learn the lived experience. So all of that started to come together for me in over the years. It was great. Well, it must have been uh, then a big difference to suddenly be back in uh, in an academic setting for the next stage. What was that like, and and how did that uh, contribute? <laughs> you may know a few things, and so yes, it's very difficult to go back to school, uh, particularly for a doctorate, particularly in an environment that's a traditional, not, not necessarily like an executive doctorate. So I did have to leave uh, level access at some point because my program, which was at UMBC, University of Maryland, Baltimore County, uh, was more traditional. We had to do you know, meetings during the day, travel to conferences, et cetera. So it was a shift, but thankfully things worked out to where I was uh, able to do that, able to go back full time. And I'm so grateful I did because it gave me some great experiences and some great connections that you know I still have to this day, uh, and it let me be immersed in this world. You know, when you're in that academic environment, it's all about that subject area, and you don't get that when you're working. So appreciate that time for sure, uh, and was able to even uh, always think about that movie. Um, Oh, the, where the, the two men are interns at Google, but they're grown. You know, I was at that point a more mature adult, but I still had some internships. And so uh, that was an interesting experience as well. So I was sort of the elder statesman of our lab and things like that, but I didn't mind. It was helpful to be able to mentor, even in the capacity as a student. And also I was very clear on why I'd gone back to school, uh, which made the, the process probably go a little smoother because uh, I was very clear what I was there to do and, and accomplish and was able to accomplish it. 
Well, uh, pursuing graduate studies uh, at the doctoral level uh, usually uh, includes doing a lot of uh, useful uh, research and work that can be utilized by other people. Uh, so, uh, what were uh, some of the subjects or, or that you uh, pursued in, in that uh, part of your career? Awesome. So I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. So I fell into sort of two areas that ended up suiting me very well. And some of them were like full circle moments. So the first was Fashion for the Blind. Uh, and so that started as a class project. I was in an assistive technology class and we were you know, asked to come up with a problem set. And I say that came full circle because when I was very little, what I wanted to be when I grew up was a fashion designer. And uh, that fell off around middle school when we got the channel Bravo and I saw a real fashion show and I was like, you know, I'm not quite at that level if that's what, what, what it takes. So I backed off of that, but I always love clothes and fashion. And so it struck me that's such a visual medium. How does that work if you can't see? <laughs> and so that began a two-year journey into a lot of interviews and even prototyping some various uh, technologies around how we can um, make that more accessible. And, and particularly, it came to me that there's objective information about clothing, uh, like color, size, you know, what it is, and then there's subjective. And that takes more of a human touch to understand the, the fashion of the time and what goes together and what coordinates and, and all of that. So we explored different technologies. Uh, so a crowdsourcing app called VizWiz that came out of, oh boy, Carnegie Mellon. And then um, a RFID kind of uh, tagging system for the objective side and explored some prototypes and published some papers around that. So that was one. Then my then it came down to some money and my advisors put in a, a request for proposals with Toyota Robotics at the time for navigation. And that's something that comes up a lot, blind navigation particularly, uh, how do we improve on pedestrian navigation for particularly those either using a cane or a guide dog, but that particularly that last hundred feet, you know, GPS does a great job of getting you near say the door or near the building, but how do you get to your actual destination? So did a lot, my last three years uh, were exploring, creating a technology around that, but used, uh, uh, very much doing it from a human-centered point of view. And, uh, and during that time, did you have the opportunity to uh, share your work at, at conferences, or uh, I, I know when I I'd go to events, I enjoy uh, seeing a lot of that uh, originating research uh, and to see what, what might be possibilities for the future. Absolutely. So all of my papers on my LinkedIn, you know, it's publisher parachute. You're required to go to at least maybe three or four conferences for us every year. So the biggest one for me was the ACM Assets Conference. So the Association of Computing Machinery Assets Conference was sort of my home. Uh, another big one, I never published a paper there, but another big one is CHI, the Computer Human Interaction Conference under ACM. And then there were a few others scattered, which also helped me to travel and have these other experiences as well, going and presenting to the conferences or publishing for journals. I've done that as well. So definitely published everything. It's all freely available if, if, if any of it interests you. And we did have some really good, uh, I would say kind of almost seminal kind of findings, particularly from both the fashion work and the navigation work, 
because we took a different lens of not just starting with what we thought the problem was, but starting with the folks who uh, are engaging in those activities and talking with them first about what they saw as sort of, sort of the um, gaps in the current technology landscape. Well, so uh, that brought you through another uh, level of your uh, academic work and then uh, re back into the work world after that. What was the next step? Yeah, back in the work world. So to uh, review my resume from there, uh, so funny. Um, first stop was Intel for a little while working in wearables. Uh, so again, another full circle moment of working in somewhat fashion, uh, but from a technology lens. So that was really fun. They were doing a lot of kind of R&D type work there. But uh, unfortunately, that kind of caught them at the tail end of that work, and, and then Intel decided to move in different direction. And so not long after that, um, I ended up at Pearson, the learning company. And uh, that is where I spent about three years as a senior UX researcher focused on accessibility. And so um, my main gig was to run research with disabled participants uh, to uh, start to glean some of the uh, insights about the education products, particularly our college education products at Pearson. However, we know that when you work in industry and in a digital space, the digital ecosystem is largely inaccessible. And so when you are the accessibility specialist at a company, you don't just do one job, you really are trying to advocate and evangelize accessibility throughout the company in that role. And so that's a lot of what I did too, because you can only do so much research with an inaccessible product. So first, sometimes we have to address uh, the basic accessibility of say the product we want to research in order to then do the main gig that I was hired to do. And can I say one thing as well, just in case folks are listening, they may hear me toggle between people with disabilities and disabled uh, identity first and people first. Just know that I, um, I'm, I'm aware that um, there are opinions on both. And so that's almost why I go between both um, in terms of whether it's people first or identity first. I try to honor the viewpoints of uh, anyone's uh, way of addressing themselves. And I hope that one or using one or the other is not necessarily offensive, but rather trying to acknowledge that there are at least right now currently two ways to do that, that are uh, equally valid in their intentions and in their implementations and in people's feelings about them. So that's why I tend to toggle between the two. Well, thanks for, for that clarification. I, I think we're, we tend to be in a, a community that is uh, very receptive uh, to uh, anyone involved in in moving things forward and i think that's always the you know the, the biggest uh, banner or emblem we can have is that we're showing in our work that we're actively uh contributing to having a more inclusive uh, uh world for our products and services yeah that's the thing it's not even the language the language wouldn't matter if we actually had the access so <laughs> yeah that's that's the most important so, uh, so that brought you uh, into. Uh, you mentioned your your work with Intel and Pearson, uh, yeah, providing uh, uh, accessibility expertise in those areas. Uh, how did that differ uh, from the work that you'd done earlier on a consulting basis? Were there some similarities or new challenges in in taking that on? Interesting. So. When working, for instance, at uh, what's again now known as Level Access, 
in some ways, people are coming to you to ask about accessibility. So you don't have to make as much of a case. However, they're not still always um, concerned about accessibility. Sometimes they just want to be able to sell, you know, this is a box they have to check to sell versus if you're coming in as an accessibility specialist to a company that doesn't focus on accessibility, sometimes you end up having to start to make the case first and then you are able to really implement the work that you do. So different skill sets, but all of it is still, and the word that I, that I, that I always am mindful to bring up is ableism. All of it still goes back to the unfortunate fact that in society, we have this um, devaluing of disabled bodies, right? Or disabled minds. And so we don't see disability, you know, there's um, Alice Wong's book, Disability in, uh, in Invisibility. And so this idea of invisibility of disability still creeps in no matter whether you're at a firm that's doing accessibility work or not, you still come up against these challenges of making people even see disability, see accessibility, and then implementing the work and educating around that. So different, but very similar still. Well, so we, we've come through uh, a lot of different parts uh, of your career, and uh, now you have your own uh, consulting organization. Uh, you know, what are some of the things, you know, looking back that you, you maybe you've seen uh, where you'd wish possibly the the uh, accessibility community had made larger strides or or maybe there are things you're exceptionally uh, proud and, and excited about or, or or maybe just things in your own work that you're looking forward to. What's the future uh, thoughts look like for you? Awesome. So I'll toggle between all of those. So what I see is at least for now, finally, at least a more talk about the even the word accessibility, you know, was a mystery up until a few years ago. So even though WCAG came out 20 years ago, uh, we're finally at a point where people even know the name, the, the word, uh, and they understand that it doesn't just mean, you know, I can access this on the train or on a tablet, right? They know it has to do with disability. So I'm excited about more people um, knowing more. I think it was Matt May had a thought that I had as well, which is we need a lot of people knowing at least a little bit. And I think we're close to a lot of people knowing just a little bit. My concern has always been that accessibility specialists sometimes talk amongst themselves a little too much and talk in a lingo amongst themselves that doesn't always invite other people in. So there's a lot of um, people that, for instance, are critical of how people program, how people are, are engaging in technology. But then sometimes we have a habit of, you know, being so uh, upset that we don't then reach out. And so that's part of what I, I try to do when I say making accessibility work. I want to make it um, such that it's not just that accessibility specialists are these knighted, you know, like special group. It's more like everyone knows the basics and then specialists do the hard stuff because we are we have a hard time getting to the hard stuff uh, because we're still teaching everyone the basics. So I want to make sure that it's clear, even if you make a mistake, we're not going to blast you. You know, we want to just continue to encourage you so that everyone can just ingrain the basics um, into it. Then we can start um, getting to uh, so solving some of these other problems. But that's because everyone else's brain power will be in it too, and we can collectively get there. So I'm both encouraged, but also I still hope that we're allowing people to join us in, in this journey. Those of us that have been 
focused on it, I hope that we're um, able to bring more people on board. And so I see, and I also am encouraged by the group that's doing um, XR access, the uh, trying to establish accessibility at the beginning of AR and VR, these new technologies, because we know that's where it starts, the standards and the creation of the foundation of these technologies, they often start without accessibility built in, and then we're always adding accessibility later. So it'd be wonderful if a new technology started accessible for once, <laughs> and that could be the way that we just do things go for, going forward. Well, I'm sure there that you keep busy on a regular basis, but are there any particular new projects or technologies or techniques that you're personally interested in exploring and learning more about? Um, it's funny. I almost need to narrow down <laughs> my focus, I realize, because it sounds like accessibility is a specialty, but then there's specialties within the specialty. And, and I do find that sometimes uh, you can't you can't learn it all. So I think that I've at least decided to somewhat lean more industry because I feel like, again, there's a opportunity to make sure that the technology people are using even right now is, you know, we need that right now to be accessible because technology is too pervasive not to. Uh, so I'm encouraged by um, just anything that, uh, any kind of tools, and I'm not talking about overlays like accessibility, but any other tools that will help uh, make accessibility part of the design and development process for the tools that we uh, create now. Uh, I'm also still very passionate about research because we say, for instance, uh, bring in disabled users, you know, and get their opinions, but there's something to doing that correctly, right? Again, if you're not familiar with disability, if you're not familiar with assistive technology, I've seen people come in and not even understand what was going on. Like you, you did all this to recruit someone, they sit down to use say magnification or a screen reader or voice control. And the person's just sitting there like, you know, they're just amazed that the computer is talking in a different way, let alone understanding what's going on. So I still think there's a lot of education to come, but I'm excited about the opportunities to do that. Online courses, all these other mechanisms we have to do that. So, and I'm gonna be putting my, uh, I'll just say that I'll be putting my, um, perspective into some of those uh, resources soon and very soon. Well, uh, Michelle, it's been a pleasure speaking to you today. I appreciate you taking the time to contribute to this and hopefully we'll uh, meet up in the future at a physical conference. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you so much for the opportunity and I hope this was insightful and encouraging and, and helpful to your viewers. Thank you very much. Hey, we did it. All right. Hi, I'm Joe Walensky, and as host of the Digital Accessibility Program, I like to keep the focus on our amazing guests. But I'm always excited about my role as Accessibility Director at Blink, the producer of this program, and I'd like to share that with you. Blink is the world's leader in evidence-driven design, and we work with a wide variety of clients. Founded in Seattle, we also have offices in Boston, New York, Austin, San Diego, and San Francisco. Our stated mission is to make technology human. Embracing inclusive design and accessibility brings all of us closer to that mission. We bring accessibility in every one of our projects. Our philosophy is that each of our practitioners should understand how accessibility applies to their own work. 
Accessibility is not a separate department or activity for us. Our researchers, designers, and developers all employ accessibility principles at every stage. If you have a need for research and design services, Blink is a partner with a full-time commitment to making your product or service accessible and a great experience for all of your customers. Some of the specific areas where we can help, using research to better understand the needs of your customers with disabilities, innovating to make sure your accessibility is the best-in-class design, we can move existing designs to development in a sprint. And maybe most importantly, we provide a turnkey transformation to an accessible site or app. Of course, compliance status is something that we always include as part of the service. If any of this is of interest, please get in touch with me directly at joe at blinkux.com. That's J-O-E at B-L-I-N-K-U-X dot com. Thank you. And please take a moment to rate our program in whatever app you use.